Ryan, how's it going? Good, thanks. Welcome to the Get Activated podcast. Thank you so much for having me. No worries. Um, firstly, I guess there's a few welcomes. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Activate. Welcome to the team. Welcome to Ireland. <laughs> um, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm Keegan and I'm... Uh and why you always start with your age, like it's that's from, from school days, probably. <laughs> yeah. but I'm 30 years old if anybody wants to know. Yeah, um, I am from South Africa, mm-hmm. I've been in coaching for seems like a long time now. Yeah, um, yeah. and uh, yeah, I'm just uh, I'm married, I've, I've brought Sinead with me to Ireland, and uh, she's a dog groomer, and we awesome. are loving our life here at the moment. So, cool. I'm coaching at Activate, and uh, yeah, that's pretty much. Awesome. Short intro. Um, your surname, people have a problem with it because it is not an Irish surname. So can you pronounce it for us, please? Okay, so just to clarify, it's the final time. <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, set the, set the record straight. Yeah. It's, uh, it's actually a Portuguese surname. No way. So my, from my dad's side, um, and it's Longira. 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 So you have... Irish and Portuguese ancestry. Yep. Okay, tell us all about that. So your dad's side is Portuguese and your mom's side is Irish. Yes, closer, okay. closer on the Irish side because my grandfather was Irish. He actually lived here. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I think one bad winter and he was like, I'm out. Okay. Yeah, during wow. the Second World War, he came to South Africa to work on the plains and just didn't ever go home. Wow. Yeah. That is amazing. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's how I got my Irish passport yeah, from, from his side. And then... On my on the Portuguese side, mm-hmm. that's like uh, my great grandfather came to South Africa from Madeira. Okay. Yeah. So. Oh, wow. Have you been to Madeira? Have you visited never, there? Never been. I've got a good friend who, well, one of my best friends who was supposed to be uh, uh, best man at my wedding. Well, he was supposed to be, but he got COVID, so he didn't come. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's he's from Madeira, and he's actually they've got a family farm there, so hopefully sometime we'll wow. be able to. Go and visit. So, like, I'm pretty sure you can get like a Ryanair flight from Cork to like Portugal anyway. So, I'm pretty, pretty sure. Pretty uh, sure. So, Ryanair has blown your mind, hasn't it? Oh man. Okay. <laughs> tell us a little bit about. I'm that. waiting for the catch. So, somebody to tell me like, oh, okay, you you got caught with this. Like, actually, the return flight's like triple or something. Uh no. <laughs> the, the, the catches are, and I think most Irish people will probably attest to this. You got to pay for anything extra, like baggage. Uh, you usually get dropped like 20 kilometers from a city center which isn't the end of the world yeah. um, and they are talking about starting to charge for the toilets um, no yeah, yeah they, they spoke about this a few years back but oh, like the aviation authority said no, not going to happen you can't do that what if someone gets locked in the toilets in an emergency oh, so there we go <laughs> so that's Reiner there is no other catches apart from what you see is what you get it's a bus with wheels yeah. or with wings um, <laughs> okay so that's your um that's that's your your brief info. Do you want to tell us a little bit about um, I guess your uh, athletic endeavors as a kid, uh, growing up in South Africa? What sports is like in South Africa? We know definitely from the Springboks that rugby is a very very important part of the sporting culture there. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, sure. So we, I think my earliest memory was uh, probably five years old, kicking four poles in the friend's back garden. His dad like put up these massive rugby poles his back garden and uh, we used to go to I don't even know it wasn't very formal the school but you just kind of got they're basically babysitting you for, for the afternoon and then <laughs> okay. after that you basically kick in for, for poles so that's my earliest memory of 
of sports mm-hmm. always had a rugby ball in my hand or if it wasn't a soccer ball or cricket ball or cricket bat yes it's like you watch a sport on TV and then you off in the garden playing mm-hmm. uh, we, we love sports birthday parties were like let's go play cricket let's do yeah we used to organise like matches for awesome. that was really exciting for us as kids mm-hmm. um, so primary school was we didn't have rugby at our primary school so it was always like me organising a rugby team for people to play a break and then okay you know the injuries started creeping in and <laughs> like yeah so we, we, they had to call that off so you had to play outside of school okay um and then when i moved to a bigger school then we started to play rugby okay yeah so i think athletic athletic endeavors as a kid swimming was big mm-hmm. we i can't karate i can't think of something i didn't do it was so encouraged to just do something do your best at it and if you've feel like you weren't having fun at that anymore changed that's awesome which was, was that really coming cool. from the teachers your parents your your friends was it just the culture i think it was the culture um specifically with my with my parents they were just like give it a go awesome you know why not and if you don't like it you can always always change so um, cool. yeah so i think it's naturally that led to crossfit because that's hey let's do everything <laughs> kind of put it in a yeah uh, yeah in a big bucket and then you know when i got to to high school we were doing mm-hmm. rugby strength and conditioning programs and all of a sudden we started to re- well without even knowing what crossfit was we were slowly starting to do some movements and mm-hmm. power cleans and all of a sudden we we're like oh, okay when we discovered crossfit we we're like hey but we've actually always always done this okay so um yeah i think training just i've trained my whole life mm. it's been i've really enjoyed it uh i actually was somebody that enjoyed training more than matches okay at the time through my high school um, like rugby career and that as well. It's funny. A lot of uh, a lot of people who move on to coaching say that they may not have been the guy who really reveled in the the game or the actual contest, but it was the training, it was the discipline, it was the the process of training is what really grabbed your attention. Yeah, definitely. And seeing the programs and seeing the progressions and mm-hmm. just seeing yourself get better and better at things. Yeah. There's no ceiling on it, which yeah. is cool. Everything else, you kind of, you know, if you win a match or you win a season or you get a trophy gold medal whatever it is it's like that's where it kind of ends whereas with with training there is no limit which is which is pretty cool you're always learning always growing it's awesome yeah so when you were in let's say high school and training for rugby uh what was that like was it a very formal setting where there was a was it a teacher doing the strength and conditioning was there an external person coming in what what did it look like pre-season yeah okay it was pretty organized we, wow. Uh, the lower so under 16 I remember starting off in like D team or something like that that was like okay who wants to play what position okay and then as you progressed up you know got into A team and Mm -hmm. you know uh, 18 years old when you start first team and things like that Mm -hmm. um, it did get much more organized so I would say from open level the gym programs got pretty formal and we had specific days and our pre-seasons were disgusting (laughs) just like yeah really Organized. Uh, we used to do it before school, to okay. train after school. Wow! Um, so it was it was quite, quite in depth. And then there was there was an external coach, mm-hmm. uh, Miles, who was at our barbecue. Actually. Yes. His brother was our coach, oh, no our strength and conditioning coach, and he awesome. was yeah he's in New Zealand at the moment. Um, cool. Yes. And then we had a teacher, but teachers that I think became teachers to be able to coach. Does yes. that make sense? So yeah. there were always coaches, rugby coaches, and then mm-hmm. they were like. Oh, I'll also become a teacher. So, yeah, it, I mean, it's debatable whether yeah. you got the quality education at <laughs> times or, like, which which came first. But yeah. I, in our school, I think, 
definitely we got to a point where sports was mm-hmm. number one and okay. how could we fit our sports in you know just the, around the academics yeah, the boring yeah, stuff yeah, like books you know? okay exactly, yeah. um and tell us tell us i guess about south africa um so most irish people wouldn't have we'd know about south africa you know but i guess you know tell us what it was like growing up in south africa tell us culturally how it's different to ireland and, and yeah. you know what, what you've seen in your in your state here in ireland already yeah i think the the first thing that comes to mind is i grew up in well, when I was born in 1991, so 1994, Nelson Mandela got released from prison. I think it was, well, he became president. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, being five, six years old at that time, our family was never uh, segregated. We always mm-hmm. kind of got along with all races. And that was, as a child, I always remember, you know, having black friends, white friends, and even um, being, you know, we, we, we say, I'm, I'm being careful of using no derogatory words or yeah, anything like yeah, that, yeah. but uh, our, um, generally, like a laborer in South Africa, our gardener used to mm-hmm. work, there would be a big split in a lot of households. It'd be yes. like black and white, and you know, you stay apart. Yeah. And uh, yes, yeah, so I remember my earliest memory of that was um, walking to town with my gardener at mm-hmm. five years old, and a lady stopping me and being like, Are you okay? Okay. I was like, Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. This is great. Yeah. You know, and and being confused, like, what did she mean? I was in trouble. What? Yeah. Why was there tension? Why was mm. you know? I think that's my earliest memory of okay. like, the politically charged and racially charged South Africa. Yeah. Um, but but fond memories. We were out in the streets playing till late. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think as we got older, we learned more about the past, and mm-hmm. then it started to, you know, you get a little bit confused and. In a way, as a South African from Portugal and Ireland, it's <laughs> yeah. difficult because yeah. you never really feel like you belong. There's so many different cultures and mm-hmm. fighting within. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just a really complex country. Yeah, but it makes it beautiful. It's yeah. really cool because nobody really belongs. You know, everybody's in South Africa and just mm. um, yeah, trying to make it best they can. That's awesome. So a lot of outdoor activities. Mm-hmm. There's um, from hiking to the oceans to great weather. Mm-hmm. We say like if it rains, you'll still see the sky probably for most of the day. It'll okay. Black clouds will build up, it'll rain, and it's done two hours, and you're like, man, that was a bad day. So a bit of a change <laughs> yeah. to here then, where you mightn't see um, the sky all day. Exactly. Okay. So, so a bit different. Yeah. And um, but yeah, South Africa was is is great. The landscape and mm. um, just yeah things to see. It's just awesome. Amazing. I do recommend to anybody if they would go on holiday there. That's there's so much to see so cool and then yeah. your i guess your 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 first impressions uh having moved to ireland having like moved your your, your wife and your your life here um the major differences between both countries oh That's major yeah, <laughs> yeah, major. yeah it is it is difficult i think our first was realizing that we're safe mm-hmm. um yeah, the first couple of, well, the first month I was here alone. So Sinead was coming over from South Africa. So mm-hmm. I was locking the doors at night. And well, you obviously have to lock your doors at night. But I was just moving things away from out, uh, from window spaces, mm-hmm. closing the windows, just being locking my bedroom door. Yep. All those sorts of things, which were completely normal. Um, and then actually realizing how much freedom we have. Yeah. And just walking into town and just being super stressed about simple yeah. things like yeah. how do I fill my car because somebody's always filled my car for me in South mm-hmm. Africa and just being worried that you're going to mess something up or that it's 
there's always a catch in South yeah. Africa. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, you just fill your car and then you do that and it's like, oh, and now it's triple the price. Or, or you know, I was always yeah. waiting for that, um, you know, the electricity bill to come in and be like, oh my goodness, I can't put the kettle on. Yeah. You know, so I think in South Africa, there's always these things that blindside you and you've got to always yeah. be on the defensive. Yeah. So getting here, it was, it was difficult for us to, everything mm-hmm. was always out to get us yeah. in the first yeah. month. Um, which was completely normal for us. And as mm-hmm. we started making friends, we started to realize like, oh, we're not going to get bitten by a snake on a hike or, yeah. you know, our car's going to get stolen when we're on a hike or yeah. stuff like that. I know it sounds sounds bad to but say. Don't go on hikes is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. That's when the bad stuff happens. <laughs> but I do remember yeah. that first month when, when you were here, obviously you didn't know you didn't know too many people. And I remember the messages back and forth because it was in the middle of COVID. Yeah. I remember you telling me like you were locking your bedroom door and I was like, Keegan, what are you doing? And like It was all alien to me. And I remember you asking me about the petrol I was like, oh, there's this new petrol station that's self-service. And yeah. I remember you just sending me this, like, mind-blown emoticon, <laughs> all these things. But, like, it, it's amazing to hear that. And I, I suppose it's stuff that, um, I guess, when you travel, you see how much you take for granted yeah. where you are. So that, yeah. it's, that's, that's a really cool insight. Yeah. Um, take us to cycling. I know cycling is a big love in your, in your life. Um, you're, you're an avid cycling fan. Mm-hmm. I remember when the tour was on, you were glued <laughs> to it. Um, you're currently doing the SNC for the cycling club locally. Um, tell us a little bit about cycling. Tell me how you got started with it, where your love of cycling comes mm. from. Tell me all about cycling on here. Oh, I uh, first time, well, I had a bicycle when I was five or six years old, mm-hmm. and then I remember I was probably six years old when I took my bicycle. My parents were at work, and our, our domestic worker that was working at the house at the time she couldn't find me for a couple of hours yeah and i casually got on my bike and cycled around the block a huge block came back it seemed like a whole day i took like snacks with me and <laughs> things like that and i got home and everybody was freaking out my parents were home kind of like where did you go okay what did you do so that was my first like adventure thinking nothing of it um on the bicycle and i just i just found this this freedom of the world moving a little bit slower than a car mm-hmm. but also um, moving quick enough that you can see a little bit more than walking, for yeah. example. Yeah. So I liked it. I still say I'd rather cycle than walk. I'm not a. I don't like walking that much. Okay. <laughs> um, and I just, I just loved it. So I've always had a bike. Always watched Tour de France from. I remember from TV, like ten years old, eleven years old, watching it. Um, just loving, you know, the mountains and just seeing how these guys would would uh, yeah train. Yeah. But see, I think my my body type. For a long time, I was like, oh, i got to get skinny, i got to get small. And then I started to realize, well, actually, I'm just a different build and I love cycling. You know, I'm, I'm stronger, I'm, you know, well, not maybe not stronger on the bike, but, uh, you know, bench press, deadlift, all those yeah. things. I still enjoy those things. I still like um, that side of things. But mm-hmm. being, being able to get on a bike and have that freedom, mm-hmm. and also just realizing cycling is for everybody. You okay. know, I think that was a big realization for me. You don't have to... A, be a certain body type or anything mm-hmm. like that so i really encourage people to just get on the bike and just even if it's just for travel or getting somewhere or um yeah whatever they want to do on the bike okay yeah. um interesting fact about you and and i guess you've had many more adventures on two wheels since that five-year-old took off with his snacks for the day <laughs> um you hold a world record in cycling yeah do you want to tell us a little bit about that and then about your other adventures on two wheels 
Yeah, so it was uh, Cairo to Cape Town. Sure. It was across Africa, mm -hmm. uh, 10,526 kilometers to be exact. And it was, uh, yeah, probably scariest, best, most emotional time of my life. It was wow. only two months, so it was mm -hmm. 59 days. Mm -hmm. uh, the previous record was 71 days, so it was... Oh, you smashed it. I, I calculated <laughs> yeah. it pretty well, and I think being... The guy was from Netherlands, and I was like, oh, gotta be a South African that holds this record. Yeah. So I think that that drove me quite a bit, and I I had I'd been through some of the places before, so I think I had an advantage there. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it was from from Egypt all the way down to South Africa, passing through the likes of Sudan, Ethiopia, Kenya, Tanzania. It was quite yeah. the experience. Yeah, it was incredible. Wow. Okay. And then you have gone from, I'm going to get this wrong, but Morocco to Norway? Yeah, that's okay. the one. That's okay, the one. tell us about that. Completely different trip. I can imagine. Again, it's uphill like, the whole day. It's <laughs> uphill, <up>. yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the one. It's yeah. uphill. Oh, yeah, it was, it was cool. It was uh, Morocco, I, one of my favorite countries in the world. Cool. I, I love Morocco. I love that it's, uh, it's, it's like a bit of everything. It's a bit of the East. It's a bit of the West. Mm. It's a bit of Africa. It's a bit of Asia. It's like... Yeah. It's just like a blend of cultures and it's, cool. it's just awesome. Um, so going from Morocco into Spain was a huge difference for me. It was the first time I'd actually been to to Europe mm -hmm. and things were more expensive and things were a bit more organized and mm -hmm. people kind of just let you get on. You know, nobody, oh, there's a cyclist traveling and kind of just, just leave you to your own. Because yep. in Africa, it's like you get to a village and kids on you and they're wondering where you're going and where you stay in that night and do you want to come eat at this house mm -hmm. it was very different yeah so it was kind of refreshing until i got to you know up france and keep like keep going north i was just like i actually missed that i actually missed yeah just being invited into a house and mm. um yeah having that interesting cultural differences it was but it, it be beautiful mm. it was so cool to see europe like that um awesome. try to go through all the capital cities until I realized that's not a good idea on a bicycle so then I tried to avoid capital cities yeah. um, and the countryside was it was just cool met really cool people and yeah awesome. friendly yeah friendly people it was great awesome that's so cool um, I guess it's a nice segue into health and fitness so you've you cycle a lot you, you've you've touched on the fact you played rugby as a kid um, you love training um, do you want to tell us a little bit about what your views on health and fitness are, what it means to you? I suppose you've already said what personally it's done for you in your life, but like, what is it? What does health and fitness embody for you? What does it mean? Yeah, Big uh, it's a good, it's a good question, and always good to as a coach to look back on that and realize why we started it. I mm -hmm. think it's incredible. Um, I actually had a comment today from um, from a member, and it it blew my mind a little bit because I was like, wow, that's 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 not really what I believe. And they said, oh, I've been out for a long time. I'm starting back at square one. And mm. I was like, no, you're not starting back at square one. Like every single uh, workout, every single bit of movement that you've done is like in this bank account. And your body, you know, you've, you've learned how to squat and that's not going to go away. You've learned how to do these things. And it was quite cool for me to um, just think about that a little bit afterwards. And, and that's how I think I view fitness is like this. It's just these blocks that you keep putting on top of each other and it's enabling you to get better at life. Yeah. It's not taking away from it. And as soon as it does take away from it, it's time to question what you're doing mm -hmm. and what your intention is in the gym. Yeah. Um, you know, if it's just about getting a PB at, you know, 
if that's going to have negative effects on your health and longevity, then why not go 5kgs lighter for today and build it up slowly over six weeks and then get the PB, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So I really believe in like slow, um, calculated, progressive work. Mm-hmm. Every workout, you know, instead of doing five workouts really hard a week, do four, mm-hmm. do three, you know, do two if you need to. Yeah. I, I really believe that and I think it's, there's no rush. There's no rush when it comes to health and fitness. You can start with what you have. You can start at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, so as a, personally as a coach, I just feel that it's something that should give you life. It should mm-hmm. should be able to get out on the weekends and go do the things you want to do and not have to struggle or think twice about it. Like there should be no limitations. Yeah, so if you need to go up the local mountain like Mangerton or Stricking like we yes. did at the weekend, yes. um, you should just be able to like chuck on your hiking boots, put a sandwich in the backpack or a banana as we yeah. had a big joke about. <laughs> you have to have a banana every time yeah. you go hiking. That's a new rule. Um, yeah. But... You should just be able to do that and it should just be commonplace in your life. Like you said, you shouldn't have to be worried. Will I get out of breath halfway up? Exactly. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I really I really think that it's... Um, yeah. It's it, As soon as you start believing that, the pressure's off. You yeah. start enjoying your training. Everything yes. is enjoyable. It's not like this pressure on you. I have to lose 10 kgs this mm-hmm. month. You know, it's like, no, let me lose... Yeah. Point one. Yeah. Every... For the next ten years, let's let's do that. Or... It's funny you say that. It's um, it's one of those things that like someone's like, I need to lose ten kilos, and the actual fact is, no, you need to lose one kilo ten times. Yeah. You know that's kind of the way you should people should view these yeah. things, but it's always about the this this kind of instant gratification, and, mm. you know, the quick win. So from that, like, what what do you feel? And a lot of this is probably driven by social media nowadays, and 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 possibly started in the 80s with TV shopping and quick wins and ad blaster pros and all these things where do you feel that we may be falling down in health and fitness and, and what do you feel that we could do better or you know the people should know the general population sometimes you might want to just shake someone who's taking diet pills yeah. what is it that you're what, what, what would you say to those people what is it that you feel is wrong with health and fitness or the industry as a whole it's a, it's a tough one it goes down so many avenues in <laughs> somebody's mind and what they've been exposed to uh, you know, for me, it's just, you get to a point where you're in trouble because of bad decisions over 10 years, for example, mm-hmm. you have a child, you don't do something about it. And that 0.1 we're talking about just goes the opposite direction mm-hmm. and you wake up five years and you know, you step on the scale, look in a mirror or just fall down and not be able to get up. And you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. How do we get here? Mm-hmm. So I think like hindsight, if we can have probably foresight, but like hindsight before we start that, to Mm -hmm. be like three days on top of each other of this, Mm -hmm. where does that lead to in a year, five years, and things like that. So I think the downfall is like not telling people how it starts, Mm -hmm. how it happens, why we get there. Mm -hmm. Instead, just go backwards and be like, you just had your first kid. It's very important now to take hold of this now because you want to have a second child you want to have a third however many you want to have and that's yeah. just you know for women specifically mm-hmm. but I think for guys as well um, you've just had a, had a kid now yes. you know what I mean it's <laughs> yeah, like yeah exactly like how many what's the goal are you are mm. we trying to get into the gym this many times mm-hmm. or prioritizing walks um, cooking just food quality yeah. sleep all those things these are the challenges that people don't tell you about mm-hmm. and the people that are advertising the model life on Instagram they've got 12 hours a day to train they can prep their meals they can do all these things in reality I think we need to just small things make a huge difference 
And if we can look at it from that perspective, I think a lot of it would be kind of, kind of not, not solved, but, you know, instead of putting on 20 kgs, you put on two. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, you, and you two damage okay. limitations. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, it's like uh, Angela is a big fan of Atomic Habits, and yeah. she's always talking about, like, the compounding interest, compounding habits. So they can go both ways. Like you just said, it's that 0.01% can go yeah. positive or it can go negative. Yeah. That's a really, really interesting point. Um, so I guess health and fitness, and, and that's led you to activate. Jeez, um, it feels like yesterday we were chatting initially when you were talking about moving halfway around the world and um and now you're part of the furniture around here um you know everyone knows you and loves you here so do you want to tell us a little bit about what struck you at activate when you started here and yeah. kind of what, how it's different or, or what your sense is of, of what this place is and what it means to you yeah i think it's um, everything i've just said jumped out at me mm. when i got interviewed and just all the questions that were asked it's like I like this question because it's not it's not on the other side of we want quick results we want this it's all about this is what we're trying to do it was really um, what, what I liked in when it came to health and fitness so I think mm -hmm. that appealed to me first and then just seeing the culture and the vision um, I think that was a big big selling point for me is mm -hmm. I was just like this is a place I would love to be part of and as I said like from the first day I put on that coach's jersey and I was like feel really proud of that I feel really proud to be able to be part of that and to to help people um, and just just connect with people on that level to get mm. to their goals and do the things that they thought wasn't possible and just kind of you, you're almost like uh, walking next to them you're not leaving mm -hmm. from the front and be like hey this is the way we go it's mm -hmm. kind of just those small things that make the difference yep. over a long term so to have members here for uh, four what, four years mm -hmm. some of them yeah I feel honored just to stand in front of them and ask them, you know, it's almost like they welcoming me. Mm -hmm. um, it's not the other way around. Like now I'm, now I'm coming to change how you yeah. deadlift or how you do this. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like I, it's so cool to see members like that and to see, I would love to see the 10 year journeys and mm -hmm. the 15 year journeys and just see how people's lives transform. Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like that's what Activate's doing. That is, yeah. you know, we want to get people in and we want to just walk a road with them to a point where they're like, well, you know, now you're fine. You know, yeah. you, 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 you understand health and fitness. Mm -hmm. You've got good control over your life. And yeah, it's different for every person. So that jumped out at me a lot. Awesome. That's awesome. Uh, I guess another, another very clear line of question here. Like we spoke about what health and fitness meant to you. Asked you a little bit what Activate means, means to you. Uh, coaching, uh, another huge question, I guess. And, and, something that is very hard to define sometimes because there's so many different molds for a coach and so many different roles you can play. What does it mean to you, coaching? That that term, that phrase, like I said, you felt so proud putting on that coach's jersey. What, what does it mean to you? What, is, what does being a coach mean and what does coaching mean to you? I think it's a... To look at somebody transform and see them going from struggling with the movements to laying such a good foundation of movement to be able to progress is huge and that a lot of the time that part is missing it's like okay that's that you know you could move better here let's fix that because then we can lift more weight then we can put on some more muscle then we can do these things but when that's missed and it's like okay let's do these deadlifts as quick as we can mm. you know i think for me uh coaching is about 
you know, moving correctly. And when you see people moving correctly, it just opens up this whole level. It's almost like leveling up. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, cool. We've we've smashed that level one. Now going to level two, it's like, okay, cool. Now we can start doing more reps. Mm -hmm. You know, at level three, it's like, now we can start doing some more weights. Now it's just this, this, um, this journey that you can go on and and as a coach i really like to slow it down and just be like okay what what is the goal here mm-hmm. if that's the goal we're gonna have to work on these things that are lower yeah um and i think uh, specifically with uh, with the pt hour um you realize that you know that clients for the first time say okay so that's what that's supposed to work that's mm-hmm. what i should feel in my muscles and that could be the slightest centimeter change in how your shoulder is set, mm-hmm. for example. Or those sort of things give me great joy. Because once you've felt it, mm-hmm. you're like, oh, okay, this is what I'm supposed to be feeling. Yeah. You know, and you can say it as many times as you want, but until you feel it, then yeah. it's like you bought in. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very cool for me to see people just start moving well. And you're like, wow, you know, I don't even care what your time was for that workout. Mm-hmm. You moved so well. Okay, that's a really interesting point because I know uh, you're an OPEX coach um, and CCP is a big eye-opener. Um, I think anyone who I've ever spoken to who's, who's completed a CCP understands that racing through things isn't necessarily the fastest way to get to where you want to go. And you just mentioned it there, you know, for time versus movement quality. What, what is your view on intensity? And sustainability in workouts oh. and, and your role this is, this is a big kind of worms i'm opening here yeah. but like how you coach that how do you get into someone's mentality let's say someone who's been doing uh crossfit for a long time for example and and they don't compete really they feel like they want to compete but you look at them and you go here this is probably better for you and then maybe you can compete how do you view that intensity versus sustainability and what is your what is your mindset around that for a general population and then for someone who's considering being more athletic or possibly competing in crossfit mm. i think if we think about control of the body mm-hmm. being able to say i can go fast i can go slow i can go medium paced mm-hmm. those gears are super important with everything mm-hmm. with life with like how hard you're working at work just knowing that there is different gears and being able to switch on, switch off and just be, yeah. So if, if I move that into exercise, mm-hmm. I see, I gave a challenge on Friday, I think I coached a class and mm-hmm. um, it was a 20 minute workout. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay guys, here's the challenge. If, if anybody can keep the same round times mm-hmm. or slightly get quicker, mm-hmm. I'll do hundred burpees over the bar. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. And simple challenge, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Nobody could do it. Yeah, it's amazing. You isn't know what it? I mean. Yeah. So it's like, what is that? What is that about not knowing ourselves, not knowing how things feel in round one, mm. in round two? And that's specifically speaking about a workout. But yeah. I think as a as a as a human being looking at something, be like, that is challenging for me. I'm probably gonna have to slow down here. Mm-hmm. Or I love those. That's where I'm good. That's where I can really go quicker. Okay. I think if you start looking at workouts like that, they become interesting. Mm-hmm. Every day is new. It's not just like, oh, it's deadlift again or it's presses again. It's yes. like, how can I pace this? How can I break up the workouts? And I think mm-hmm. that's really interesting for me, just as a human being, knowing what you are capable of and seeing yourself get better mm-hmm. at controlling the body and being like, okay, now, now I want to go foster this piece of the workout. Yes. Or, so I think for me, pacing is about 
learn in your body. And sometimes, mm-hmm. sometimes you want to try to, you know, a workout a stimulus is unsustainable. Mm-hmm. So let's do this as hard as we can. Mm-hmm. We're going to rest. We're going to try and do it again. Probably not going to be able to do it again. But let's feel what that feels like because now we've got a different gear. Yes. So I think there's, a, there's definitely purposes in it. Yeah, purpose in mm-hmm. in what's programmed and, and what comes up, and it's all different. It's difficult then to to get everything in one basket. Yes, that's a it's a, that's an awesome answer. How, do you feel that we're overly impressed by intensity, um, because we see people who can express intensity, uh, like CrossFit athletes or NFL players or rugby players, um, in possibly shorter bouts of time, but that we have to get to that. I won't say earn the right because I, I, I don't like that phrase, but we have to get to the stage where we can express that intensity um, at an adequate level so then we can go hammer and tongs at, let's say, a 30-second assault bike effort. Mm. How do you feel people should build the, the blocks to be able to express that type of intensity? Is it more sustainable work even though it's not as sexy? Or what is your view on it? Definitely. Definitely more sustainable work. You know, doing a workout and being like, I kept every single round the same time there, or I, I moved really well through that, and I'm proud of my effort. And although I didn't win the workout or get the best time, mm-hmm. hey, I can work out tomorrow because I was sustainable. Yeah. I think that's that's huge. You know, waking up on a Friday morning and being like, oh, I just I went way too hard in that workout on Thursday. I think we celebrate that too much. Yes, it's not impressive. Mm-hmm. Anybody can get tired. Anybody. And mm-hmm. I think it's like, wow, that person got really tired. That's, <laughs> and sore. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. It's not difficult. Mm-hmm. It's really not difficult. I think it's those, the feeling that we get, those mm-hmm. endorphins, and be like, wow, I really worked hard. And I think it's a celebrated culture in the workplaces as well. Like, mm-hmm. wow, I worked two extra hours today. I'm yep. at the office at 10 o'clock. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I burnt a candle. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, we're proud of ourselves for those efforts. And I think sometimes we, we, we're going to look back and we're going to think, Actually, I could have been more sustainable with that, yep. you know, and gone for longer. Um, that's, I think that's... That is a really awesome analogy, because <laughs> I think everyone can uh, attest to the guy in the office or the girl in the office who stays too late, uh, who's probably burning the candle at both ends, like you said, and is just burnt out, and they just, they don't even recognize it themselves. Yeah. They're chasing something that is yeah. elusive and that they'll never catch. Exactly. Mm, that's, that's an awesome analogy. Uh, our show notes... We have winged the rest of it. <laughs> We're going to talk about Snoop Dogg now. We're going to talk about Snoop Dogg. So yeah, I came up in the conversation beforehand that Snoop Dogg is playing a concert in Killarney and Keegan is getting tickets. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you're going to, speaking of, you're going to Offspring? Yeah, this is weekend. This weekend? This weekend. Awesome. So you and Sinead heading up to Dublin? Yeah, we're heading out to Dublin. We're going to go watch a concert there. We've actually never been to a concert together, Sinead and I. No She's way. been to concerts before we ever dated and I've been... Yeah, to to some before, yeah, before we dated, and now cool. it's like first one together. So you know, it's always like awesome. Do you stand? Do you put your hands up? Is that <laughs> person comfortable with it? So it's gonna be quite interesting. Awesome. Yeah, big Offspring fan. Great. Uh, so, yeah. Any other musical tastes that we're unaware of? Are you more of a metal, rock, rap? What's your What's your genre of choice? Oh, it depends what the movement is. Okay, go Clean for it. Jerks or yeah. snatches. So let's say it's a sustainable uh, piece that's like 20 minutes long. Piece. You're going to be listening to some Beethoven or... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I really... I actually said it to a client, uh, I think a couple of days ago. We used to do training where 
four friends we used to get together and we said okay this is sustainable peace mm -hmm. no music we're just gonna listen to our breathing wow five minutes in and you're like that is horrible <laughs> it's just he's, he's like is that how i breathe yeah and i think that brings awareness to it so okay. i think on on, on sustained pieces i don't really mind what's mm -hmm. what's playing i would just really focus on my breathing yep and just you know how to slow it down or mm -hmm. just how to be more efficient and yeah. that's what's causing the heart rate to spike this things like that yeah um be more self-aware yeah, i guess being yeah more okay so it doesn't matter what music's playing there mm -hmm. lifting oh just really rap yeah okay rap, awesome that's, that's uh you know not, not angry rap but passionate rap like mm. i got gotcha, you nobody believed in me okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, were quite approved kind of exactly. stuff okay yeah. um you you mentioned something actually and, and it's something that kind of stuck with me we spoke about workouts and getting in, in mindset. This is about eight weeks ago. Um, I've got a weird memory for this type of stuff, but yeah. we spoke about music and how you were like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if someone's talking to me, it doesn't matter, I'm in the zone. And and you've been to regional uh, level competitions at CrossFit. Um, is that a mindset thing where you zone everything out? Do you think that is a necessary requirement for a competitor? Or do you just think that is something that drives you is it is it something that you have to block everything out outside you um because that's your style do you think every elite competitor would would do that or do you feel that you know you need to be aware of your surroundings you need to be more in tune with your surroundings and yourself when you're yeah. working out or when you're in competing for example yeah i would say um training definitely you want to be in tune with exactly what's happening in your mm -hmm. body what level of comfort things feel like, um, what you can push through, what you can't push through, mm -hmm. and just having so much feedback that you know. We had a comp we had a workout in in Argentina that was uh, thrusters. I can't remember the rep scheme, but thrusters and then touch and go legless rope climbs, where you climb the rope, come down legless, not touch the floor, climb a little bit away up the rope, and then I think it was like th the reps were maybe five, four, three, or something okay. like that. And brutal. It brutal. Wow, that's brutal. And, yeah. you know, I found such a, watching my, my heat, mm -hmm. seeing people two minutes ahead of me, and I beat them in the end just by waiting a little bit longer before okay. I went. Um, and then in the final heat, watching who won that workout and the person who was off the thrusters first mm -hmm. um, won the workout. The f person who was second chasing him lost the workout. Because wow. he didn't know, he was trying to chase the guy that was yes. first and he had to come second, otherwise he didn't win the competition. So mm -hmm. things like that, I was like, that's really interesting for me. Wow. So in training, like, you've got to know that. Mm -hmm. In competition, there is a level where, you, where you've got to let go of it. You've got to yes. risk, you've got to um, see who's ahead of you. You need to pace it, you need mm -hmm. to... So it's this fine balance of that. And it's, it's super interesting. It's very exciting. Yeah. And it gets me pretty excited. I can imagine. Yeah. So like you've been on, you've been on competition floors with guys who've gone to the games. Yeah. Um, what is it that when you, when you look at those guys, let's say you're watching that heat ahead of you and, and there's a, there's a Matt Frazier or there's a, any other top level competitor there. Yeah. Um, Justin Medeiros, for I'm sure I think like who, who's, yeah. who's the top dog now? What is it that separates that guy from a regional competitor, for example? I think the regional competitor is not really willing to risk it all. Okay. And when I say risk it all, knee injuries, back mm -hmm. injuries, mm -hmm. shoulder injuries, 
um, social life, mm -hmm. foods, mm -hmm. all of that. Like you need to be able to be all in. And if there's a percent of doubt, it changes how you train. It changes, how, not specifically how you train, like you can always train hard, but it changes how you recover. Yes. It's like, are we going out tonight for drinks? No, I need to sleep. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. things like that was, I think is, is the big difference. You know, when it's competition time, they there, they relax, they're ready to go because yep. all the work's been done. Mm -hmm. They seem the most relaxed at competitions. In the zone, not chatting, but efficient. Off the workout floor, not ch a little bit of chatting, but then it's yep. like off to this, mm -hmm. um, cool down, this meal at this time, onto this. It's just the way it goes. Wow. It okay. is. It, yeah. Competitions are high stress. It's mm -hmm. really... And, and I think the, the guys that that do that the best are the, yeah, the guys that are top level. That and I mean, obviously genetics comes into play, especially with a sport like CrossFit. Yeah. You've got to have things working out for you. And there's guys that I will look at the CrossFit Games lineup and be like, like I will never win the Games, unfortunately. Yeah. So uh, what do you think of, and, and I'm going to try and uh, put a, a juxtaposition with the general pop here. Yeah. But what do you think of those guys who are maybe... 20th on the, the leaderboard for the CrossFit Games which is hugely impressive to get there and hugely impressive to compete and get to that level but what do you think of the risk versus reward they're giving up so many years of their lives to never be first or to never even be in the top 10 mm. and how does that relate to general population clients who give up so much and push themselves too hard where like they probably just had to look at those small one percents that we spoke about earlier yeah. to get the gains. Yeah. So how do you how do you equate those two things? What what would you say to that guy who's twentieth on the leaderboard of the games, if you were to give him your advice? And what would you say to someone who probably obsesses a little bit too much about their training in the general population setting? And what how, what advice would you give those to try and go? Here's how we could balance things a little bit better. You can still get the results, but you don't need to push as hard. That's such a tough question. Cause yeah. It, yeah, it's it's really tough because um, if I would look at the guys that are 20th on the leaderboard, these guys just love training. Mm -hmm. And the training is smarter than you think. Mm -hmm. You know, we think they, they're really doing like intense workouts every single day. But sometimes it's really those long sustained pieces, a lot of accessory work. It's a lot of time needed to be able to train. And they just love training. Yeah. And their work circumstances just work out that they, they really love training. Yeah. Um, and then on the other spectrum, you know, general population, I think there, there needs to be cut off times. You know, if you do want to compete, you've got to say there's ages, there's mm -hmm. skills. If you don't have all the skills, develop those skills. Yeah. You know, handstand walk. Yeah. Pistol squat, you know, all these things. Yes. These are skills that are needed. And it's like, if you don't have those skills and you, oh, it's tough. It's tough to it's say, tough, it's isn't tough it? to say. Yeah. but I mean, like, if, you, if you're 30 or 35 and, and you don't have those skills and you're still trying to learn the skills, it's it's difficult. Mm -hmm. It's really difficult because then strength is a whole other aspect. Like, yeah. I remember getting a chart from my coach when I was 24 and he's like, this is how strong you need to be to compete. These mm -hmm. are the numbers. These are the stats. And I was like, okay, I'm going to dedicate the next three years to getting strong. Mm -hmm. And that's what I did. You know what <laughs> yeah, I mean? So, yeah. And if you didn't have the time and mm -hmm. I didn't have a... A girlfriend at the time yeah <laughs> you know i was i was single i mm -hmm. had um had a lot of time mm -hmm. but that's what's required i yep. just had to focus single on just single-mindedly on getting that strong and hitting those numbers mm -hmm. 
you know so that's what you need to do like yeah, yeah. so I think and, and I knew I, th- I don't think I knew that how much it would take a toll on on health like I've had my injuries I've had wrist injuries I've <laughs> had um, back injuries knee injuries not mm-hmm. massive but it all takes a toll yes. for sure yeah for sure so I would say that you need to look at where you are in life and what the goal is mm-hmm. if it is to yeah you know have a really good life and be able to do these things mm-hmm. less is probably more awesome less is probably more you don't need to be doing extra work and things like that you actually need to just trust the coach mm-hmm. get into a good gym you know people are listening and they're not to activate get into a gym that coaches care about you and walking a road with you know you specifically mm-hmm. know when you're pushing too hard mm-hmm. slow you down a little bit and just trust the process like every single time i've gone to a coach I've had to trust the process. Mm-hmm. You know, as soon, as soon as there's doubt and like, oh, I, could, I should be doing a little bit of this and chopping and changing, that's when problems come in. And then mentally, it's just, there's no, you, you're just churning water. You're not making progress in any specific field. Mm-hmm. So if it's like, I want to get, I'll, I'll activate um, the map, map for yeah. example. Yeah. I, I couldn't express friend because I couldn't do pull-ups. Get pull-ups. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yep. Single-mindedly, like, set that for uh, the next six months. Ask a coach, mm-hmm. how long do you think I'll need for that? Mm-hmm. And if it's two years and you want to get pull-ups, then spend two years. You know what I yeah. mean? That level of, 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 like, gratification after that is more than, oh, I got one pull-up by yes. chance, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. That's a that's a really nice point to end in this podcast on. Um, thanks for your time, Keegan. I reckon... We have touched on so many points there that we could probably record another 10 podcasts on. We may, yeah. we may well do that because you know what? We're just going to grab coffees in the future and just shoot the breeze because <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, thanks, Keegan, and I uh, appreciate your time. Thanks. Awesome.